Well, welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. I am your host, Michael Delaware. And today I have three special guests on with me from the Underground Railroad Society of Cass County. Mike Moraz, who is the president of the society. Cindy Yawkey, who is the serves as the co-chair of the Education Committee of the Society, and Kathy LaPointe, the treasurer of the organization. And today we're going to explore the fascinating story of the Underground Railroad and Cass County's important role in this amazing chapter of Southwest Michigan history. So welcome, everyone. Thank you for taking time to be on the podcast today. Thank you, Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, well, Mike, let's start with you. You serve as the president of the society, um, but you're also intimately involved with the restoration of three of the historic sites. Is that correct? That's correct. Could you tell us a little bit about um, your organization and the significance of these places? Sure, I would be happy to. We are a 501c3 nonprofit established in 2010. Uh, Our mission is to research and educate about the Underground Railroad in Cass County and to restore our iconic buildings uh, related to the Underground Railroad as a focal point for telling the story. Um, We acquired the Bonine House and Carriage House in December of 2010 and the Bogue House in May of 2018. Um, The Benign House is home of uh, the Quaker abolitionist family, James and Sarah Benign. But also it's an example of an 1840s Greek revival house with an 1870s remodel to a second empire style. Uh, The carriage house is a Gothic revival carriage house of 1850, which was actually an underground railroad station where freedom seekers were sheltered. And the Bogue House is also a station along the Underground Railroad housing freedom seekers, notably Perry Sanford during the Kentucky Raid of 1847. Elements of the Bogue House include remnants of an 1820s squatter's cabin and a Greek revival style addition um, in the 1830s. Uh, These locations are where Underground Railroad activities occurred Um, Walking into these buildings takes you back in that time period. And so buildings, these buildings are an excellent resource for educating people about the Underground Railroad. Wow, that is fascinating. I mean, I went through some of the material that I believe Kathy sent over with the maps and everything, and I've been studying it all day, and it's quite amazing. So some of those houses are still fairly close to the original condition? Yes, the Benign House has basically its two homes. The uh, the 1840s portion is a two over two house, which is Greek revival, typical two parlors on the first floor and then two bedrooms on the second floor. Um, And the addition is an 1870s where they added the Second Empire Tower and then an addition to the north, which uh, included a dining room and uh, the bedrooms upstairs. Um, The carriage house is pretty much exactly like it was. It does have some um, elements that were added to the north in the 1930s, 1940s. Um, And the Bogue house has remnants of the 1820s squatter's cabin. And then the the addition that was put on when the Bogue family um, 
uh, acquired that property and uh, expanded their house back in the 1830s. Wow. And they were, they were all Quakers? That's correct. Um, James Bonine was a Quaker. He married Sarah Bogue, and she was the daughter of uh, the Quaker, the Bogue Quaker family. So they were Quaker abolitionists, quite active, actually, um, as uh, abolitionists. Wow. Well, Cindy, I understand that you serve as the photographer for the organization and have also written and illustrated two books about the Underground Railroad. Could you tell us a little bit about the photography and the books? Uh, yeah, um, I loved. Uh, I fell in love with the Bonine House when it was not as grand as it is right now. It was uh, six months away from total structure failure when I started uh, photographing it. And now you see this uh, beautiful house and uh, just learning the stories of these three buildings and getting to uh, photograph as they, uh, as they are restored. It's a great honor. Um, the two books that I wrote, um, the first book was They Have My Shoes, I Have My Freedom. Um, Lucinda is a fictional character that visits um, actual sites and people on her way to freedom. Hmm. And um, then I um, illustrated Perry Sanford's story, um, Out of Bondage. Um, Perry Sanford is a, a great story for people to kind of follow a freedom seeker from where they began to where he ended up at being free in Battle Creek. And so I, I think those, uh, and then I illustrated and wrote about the Kentucky slave raid of 1847. Um, so, um, that people, I, I, I love to share the stories of, uh, of the Kentucky slave raid and how this area came together to protect the freedom seekers. And, um, so that's one that's... Well, let's come back to the Kentucky ra um, raid here in a minute. Let's. I'm going to ask um, Kathy a question. You know, it seems that you have one of the more difficult challenges with the Underground Railroad Society because you spend a lot of your time working on fundraising and memberships and grants. So, you, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, the society membership and, and how people can get involved with what you guys are doing? Yeah, um, we have about uh, 400 members. And um, since uh, many of them have been with us since the beginning, but uh, more join every year uh, um, from all over the country, mostly local and regional. I was thinking about this and uh, mostly from three states. <laughs> so um, our, <laughs> our membership is uh -huh. our backbone. It's a truly a community uh, project. It's uh, we're um, couldn't be 
more proud or appreciative of our membership. Um, we have received grants from a local foundation, uh, lo local family foundations, uh, state organizations, federal organizations, uh -huh. and uh, across the board. Uh, we've been active for over 10 years, and um, it's nice to be in a place that uh, we can prove our track record and people can see what we're doing with their money. And um, so it's a big job, but like Cindy says and Mike, yeah. we love it and it's our passion. Oh, that's great. So, Mike, Cass County was kind of an important link in the Underground Railroad route all the way to Canada, being one of the main starting points in Michigan, wasn't it? That's correct. They came up uh, mostly through Indiana, uh, Bristol area, and then, you know, uh, from Kentucky and, and through Ohio in a lot of cases, and then through parts of Indiana and then up into our line. There is a line west of us, which was the Illinois line that came through mm -hmm. Illinois and then into Niles and then um, picked up into the Vandalia area, which was our line. And then from there, they would go to Schoolcraft. Um, Constantine was big, Battle Creek, um, mm -hmm. Detroit, and onward to Canada. But what's interesting is not everybody went all the way to Canada. A lot of people stayed yeah. here locally, or they stayed along the way as they felt safe, and they were able to settle down and possibly uh, work their way to owning some farms themselves. So that's a very unique story about Cass County. Yeah, that is uh, interesting because there was also a small community that kind of developed in Marshall as well as our, when I was doing the research on um, the Adam Crosswhite story that there was actually, it was more than just a Crosswhite family there. They decided to settle and not move on. So it's kind of interesting. There were a lot of the communities were quite welcoming up here in Michigan. Um, Absolutely. It gave them an opportunity to, first of all, be safe. Second of all, to grow crops. Um, go to school, go to church, mm -hmm. and actually be, um, uh, you know, successful uh, citizens and actually have, you know, quote, a normal life, um, unlike um, anyone that had stayed or wasn't able to to get away like they did. So, and, and a lot of those families, those ancestors are still here. That's a huge part of our story. We have a large library collection of family history Wow. of those families that uh, many descendants uh, are still are still here in the area. Wow, that's quite interesting. So um, I think, Cindy, you probably are, uh, the, the, what I understand from the other guys, that you're pretty well versed in the 1847 Kentucky slave raid that happened that kind of shook up things in Cass County during that time period. Could you tell us, walk us through the story on that? Okay. Uh, in the spring of 1847, two large groups of slaves escaped from their Kentucky plantation. The first group was 22. The second group was 11, and it included Perry Sanford. They made their way wow. to Young's Prairie in Cass County, Michigan. 
Their slave owners heard rumors that their slaves were staying and working on Quaker farms. They hired a man by the name of Carpenter. Carpenter pretended to be an abolitionist. He went from Quaker farm to Quaker farm. I tell you what, those Quakers are real friendly. They invited me in. They fed me. They even left me stay in their homes. Once I found out what farms those slaves were staying at, I drew a map and I sent it back to Kentucky. In August of 1847, <laughs> 13 slave catchers come into the area. They brought a tobacco wagon to haul their slaves in. They stopped just two miles south of Josiah Osborne's farm. They left their tobacco wagon there. They broke up into smaller groups. One group went to the Osborne farm where there was a family of five staying in a small cabin close to the Osborne's farm. A father, a mother, a daughter, and two sons. The slave catchers break in. The mother and daughter escape out the window. The father and two sons are shackled. Josiah Osborne sent messengers out to his neighbors. All of his neighbors came to his farm. The slave catchers were about to start heading south when they were surrounded, and they went to the Odell Mill in Vandalia. Another group, led by the East Farm, led by Reverend Stevens, went to the East Farm, where there was a mother and her baby staying in one of the cabins. She could hear them going from cabin to cabin, and she knew soon that they were becoming her cabin. She escapes out the window. She runs, she hides in the woods. In her panic, she left her baby on the bed. Reverend Stevens breaks into the cabin. Ah, the woman, she got away. But then he spots the baby on the bed. I know how to get her back. He picks the baby up. He takes the baby outside. He makes the baby cry. The mother hearing her baby cry, she comes out of hiding and he captures her and they go to the Odell Mill. On Henry Shepherd is a self-emancipated oh. man. On his farm, a man named Merriman is staying. Merriman had been sick ever since he arrived. When the slave catchers break in, he tries to fight them but they overpower him and capture him. On Zachariah Sugar's farm, William Casey, his wife and his daughter are staying. The slave catchers break in. Mrs. Casey escapes out the window. William Casey picks up a three-legged stool. He gives great battle. He strikes his young master a mighty powerful blow. His young master would die later on on returning home to Kentucky. They overpower William Casey and beat him dreadfully and capture him and his daughter. Mrs. Casey's running through the cornfield when her young master tries to capture her. But she's too much for him and licks him in that cornfield and makes her way to Zachariah Sugar's house. It alerts the family and goes back into hiding. On Stephen Bogue's farm in a cabin, Joe Sanford, his wife, his daughter, a man named Ruth Stevens, and Perry Sanford are staying. At 4 o'clock in the morning, they hear a knock at the door. Joe goes, who's there? A voice replies, a friend. They all recognize the voice. It's the voice of Jack Graves, Joe's slave master. Jack Graves starts pounding on the door and he's yelling, Joe, Joe, let me in. But Joe doesn't let him in. Joe starts yelling, murder, murder, hoping somebody would hear him. Then Jack Graves takes his double barrel shotgun. He sticks it through the window of the cabin. Joe picks up a hickory stick. He strikes Jack Graves with the hickory stick. Jack Graves drops his shotgun in the window. He leaves. None of them pick up the shotgun, and Jack Graves and others soon return. They break into the cabin. They capture Joe, his wife, and his daughter. Ruth Stevens is up in the loft. He jumps down, and he runs out the door. 
Here, Sanford is up in the loft, too. The cabin has a shake roof. He pushes the shakes aside, climbs out onto the roof, jumps down on the ground. If you ever see lively running, that's what I was doing. I lost the slave catchers in the cornfield, and I made my way to Mr. Bogue's home. Mr. Bogue, Mr. Bogue, the slave catchers broke into the cabin, and it took Joe and his family. Mr. Bogue got on his horse, and he rode into Cassopolis. Hannah Bogue secreted me upstairs, and I could look out the window, and I could see what was going on. Rube Stevens had made it to William Jones's home. William Jones told the women that were there, women, go hide in the cellar. Told the men to go hide in the woods. He mounted his horse and he rode over to Stephen Bogue's home. The slave catchers were there. They had pistol and movie knives. William Jones, a Quaker, he didn't have a weapon, but he told them that he could shoot as fast as they could. He stayed there and talked to them until Stephen Bogue and 30 others came from Cassopolis. And they went from Stephen Bogue's home to the Old Down Mill in Vandalia, where it's estimated between 100 to 300 people had gathered. The slave catchers had guns. Some in the crowd had guns. There was a fear that violence would soon erupt. Josiah Osborne and other lead Quakers spoke to the crowd and kept the situation calm. Josiah Osborne spoke to the slave catchers, and they agreed to go to Cass' office to have their case settled in court. The Cass County Commissioner was out of town. The Marion Commissioner was in town, Ebenezer McElvain. Here's the, ke- here's the kicker. He's an abolitionist and a conductor on the Underground Railroad. For three days, he adjourned the case for three days, and then he allowed blacks to testify against their slave owners, which was unheard of. (laughs) Then he turned to the Kentucky and said, prove your case. We have the 1793 Fugitive Slave Act law that says we have the right to go into free states and take back our property. We have ownership papers that says these are our slaves. We have a copy of our state constitution that says Kentucky is a slave state. Overruled. McElvain overrules. He says, your copy of your state constitution isn't certified. He sends the Kentuckians home empty-handed. The nine freedom seekers are rushed over to Ishmael Lee's home, where there are 31 other freedom seekers. Zachariah Sugar, he was our conductor. He wore a big white hat, and he was proud of his team of horses. He took those 40 freedom seekers from Cassopolis up to Schoolcraft to Dr. Nathan and Pamela Thomas's home. From there, they would travel to Battle Creek to Arasas Hussey's and Sarah Hussey's home. From there, they would travel to Detroit, cross the Detroit River, into Canada. Later on, the Kentuckians would try to sue in civil court in Detroit. Again, they were turned away empty-handed. For some, the court cost was high, and they had to sell their property and leave the area. Our saying around here, sometimes it costs a lot to do the right thing, but it's always right to do the right thing. And in 1884, Perry Sanford, now a citizen of Battle Creek, told his story to Sunday Morning Call. And that's the story of the Kentucky slave raid of 1847. Wow, that's quite a... Story, yeah, and I know that um, Erastus Hussey mentioned in his, he did a interview before he died, and he talked about that being the largest group that ever came through Battle Creek. Before that, there was just one and two at a time, but that whole incident with the uh, the slave raid over in Cass County brought in 30 or 40 of them through at one time. Wow. Which was probably the biggest challenge at that point, you know. But uh, wow, didn't know that. That's amazing. That's quite. A, it's quite a fascinating story. Yeah, that. It, that's how I, I came across that somewhere in one in one of the stories about 
because he gave an interview before he died. That's how Michigan knows much about the Underground Railroad because it was so secretive. Right. It was a you know because they were they would go to jail if they they were caught. So they it was kind of clandestine activity. Right. And he of course after it was all over he gave an interview about some of the history of it. And he talked about that one incident. Wow. Um, well, you can so imagine it's one thing to to hide one or two slaves or freedom seekers, but to have 20 or 30 you have to deal with to feed and water and, and shelter right. them. That's a challenge. That would be a, it's a scary challenge. It's illegal anyway. But to have that many at once um, would be even just. Yeah. I mean, they were hiding them in haystacks and all sorts of things during the daytime. because they. Uh, it was, a, you know, for one or two at a time, it was they could do it easily. But when they had that wave come through, that was right. it was an interesting story behind that, you know. Right. But, you know, they had to do it because they knew the Kentucky people were going to come back. So, right. You know. So are there any other unusual or unique stories about the Underground Railroad that came out of uh, your research into the Cass County area? Well, um, and, uh, Stephen Bogues, uh, Stephen and Hannah East Bogues, um, their house is just um, a mile down the street from the Bonine house. They moved in about 1830 uh, and they uh, it was a mm-hmm. squatter's cabin with a attic and they uh, started sheltering freedom seekers and which uh, is the term now for fugitive slaves they're uh, known as freedom right. seekers and so um Mm-hmm. It's a, a family story that um, when uh, freedom seekers were in the attic and slave catcher, catchers came all the time to um, this area because there we had nine stations on the Underground Railroad and they're all Quakers and the Kentuckians uh, knew, <laughs> especially from Bourbon, Kent mm-hmm. County, they lost a lot of slaves to this area. Everybody, like Cindy mentioned, wow. had um, cabins uh, around their um farms and uh, freedom seekers would uh, stay and work on the farm. It was safe. It, it, this area was a safe haven. So, um, but w- right. when uh, uh, when uh, um, slave catchers came to the Bogue house, it said that uh, Hannah had a big a spinning wheel in her parlor and um so she uh, started uh, uh pumping that pedal really hard and uh, uh fast to <laughs> warn the people upstairs to be quiet so um that uh, spinning wheel is uh, in uh, the family, and we hope 
to have that at the Bogue House someday. And um, so there's a, That's part a, of the museum, part of the museum. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. People can go in that attic. Yeah where uh, freedom seekers were sheltered. They can look out the uh, uh -huh. windows where Perry Sanford um, watched the uh, William Bogue, um, or, or William Jones uh, come up and the Kentucky raid. So like you, uh, Mike, um, Mike said, having these actual sites is means everything it's it's not a, just a story uh -huh. people can experience um what it was like for freedom seekers and it's really profound uh, for all ages that's great I, it's so wonderful that you have preserved some of the buildings because so many of them have been lost i know in battle creek i don't think there's any remaining structures and i'm not sure about marshall but i think they're all gone too so there's really not a whole lot along the line it's yeah. it's quite wonderful that cass county's got at least three of them or more you know um is the odell farm still in existence that was seemed like a significant event on that whole timeline the old the odell mill um it was in vandalia um um, it's now Milo Barnes Park. Unfortunately, the mills are no longer standing there. Oh, but okay. there is a, a historical sign that talks about the Kentucky slave raid of 1847 that occurred there. Um, and that's where um, the citizens all gather to prevent um, the slave catchers from taking the slaves back. So, Okay. So are there tours available this fall or spring or summer coming up on the uh yes uh yes um our uh, touring season begins in june all the way up until october uh, we have docents here um, monday through fridays um, if somebody would like to do a private tour um, they can get our uh, information on our website to set up a uh, private tour um, and then our underground railroad days are coming the second of July, second weekend of July. Okay. Um, all three sites will be open to the public to tour the Bonine House, the Bonine Carriage House, and the Bogue House. Wow, that's so they can. And a, <laughs> is there a shuttle between the houses? Are they separated? By, they look like they're separated by a little um, distance on the map here. Yeah, yeah, it's a um, uh, very little distance. Um, we have a twenty-site driving tour. Oh, great! That uh, people can uh, do as well. The second weekend of July is when we'll have vans that will take people from Milo Barnes Park to um, do the Underground Railroad, and then um, I mean to do the Kentucky Slave Raid, mm -hmm. and then they can come back on their own to visit. The houses, we do not uh, stop at the houses uh, on that tour. So you come after you do the Kentucky Slave Raid, you can visit the houses then. That's great. That sounds like a lot of educational history. Yeah. Uh, Michael, it's uh, from uh, 
June through sure. September, uh, Bonine, Carriage House, and Vogue House are open Monday through uh, Friday from 2 uh, until 5 for uh, free public tours. And like Sandy uh, said, if you want a private tour, contact us on our website. The driving tour, 20 sites around Vandalia, is uh, self-guided. Uh, mm -hmm. Take it anytime. And there are maps on our website, urscc.org, or in the park in Vandalia. Awesome. Can they get copies of the books that we mentioned earlier as well on the same website? Not on the, uh, uh, the website. Not on the website, but Actually, they can get them at the museum uh, if they come to visit or something like that? They can uh, get them at, at the Bonine House. Yeah. Yes. You can Great. Okay. And then when they take the tour, when they do the driving tour, are each of the, the site locations, do they have like a historic marker next to them or... Um, some way to identify that they're at the right spot? Um, on our um, map, our, the self-guided driving tour map, it has mm -hmm. like, not, it, it's numbered and it gives you details of each site. Oh, okay. And so, Are some of the sites um, still occupied as private residences or are they all? Um, yes. Um, William Jones is a private residence. Um, the the, there is, I don't okay. think there's any other structures that are, um, well, yeah, uh, the, uh, right, Kathy, there are no other, the, uh, one room school, um, house is, uh, Brownsville school is on the tour. It was integrated from the day it opened in eight for, 1840s until it closed in 1957. So that's on our tour. It's a private property. It's closed, but it's a wonderful site. Uh, we have um, several cemeteries, uh, churches, and it's a uh, Really fascinating tour. It's a uh, back country, country roads, and it's so it's a um, couple hours, okay. depending if you like to explore. Good. Well, that sounds like it's a great thing to plan on the uh, the Fourth of July weekend when people are, you know, because all three of the houses will also be open on the on the tour. Yeah. And it, there is a lot of activity in uh, in Vandalia that weekend as well. We co-sponsor Underground Railroad Days okay. with uh, Village of Vandalia. We have Civil War 102nd U.S. Colored Troops uh, there, uh, Living History, and... Um, our guided tours, craftsmen, mm -hmm. food, 
family events. It's very fun and interesting. Well, that's great. Yeah, I know the, the U.S. Colored Troops, I had a, one of the historians on the subject on that on my podcast earlier, and he mentioned in his description of some of the history of that, they sent a kind of a recruitment train across southwest Michigan, and Cass County was one of the key stops at the end of their journey, and they were recruiting soldiers for the, the Colored Troop Regiment. It was the first Michigan regiment before they became the 102nd. Um, then they were sent down and, and right, made into a right. federal, a federal unit when they got out of down in Maryland, I think it was. But uh, so that's kind of fascinating. That is a, a lot of history for someone to take in on a weekend. And that's a uh, good to know about. So when people want to, do they have to buy tickets for any of these events? No, no. It, everything's free. No, no tickets. Okay. No, everything's free. Okay. If someone comes along and wants to donate to the work that you guys are doing to support the restoration of the homes and and the society and, and the projects that you guys are doing, how can they do that? Do they do that through the website? Yes. Yes. URSCC.org, uh, Underground Railroad Society of Cass County, URSCC.org. Uh, and um, yeah, online or through the mail, and we're very appreciative. Well, that's great. Well, I'm glad you guys are doing what you're doing. It sounds like it's quite a large project, but it's a great asset to the history and preserving something that otherwise would have been lost had you your organization not come along and taken the initiative to do what you're doing. Um, because so much of it has been lost on some of the other routes. Are, do you know of any other museums along the route that are uh, still in existence? Any? I haven't really explored over towards Detroit. I know there's that monument in Detroit where they crossed. And uh, there, I, I don't know about other some of the other stops along the way, Schoolcraft or Grass Lake or... Yeah, um, uh, Schoolcraft, Nathan and Pamela Thomas's home is in schoolcraft uh, you get you have to make reservations for to visit mm-hmm. that so you have to go through um, the schoolcraft um historical society association okay, and okay. historical so yeah you have to okay. go through them uh to do a tour of that uh house there in schoolcraft well, as we kind of wrap up here, uh, is there any last thing you'd like people to know about some of the history of the Underground Railroad in Cass County? Yeah, could we talk about Ramp Town real quick? Um, I don't sure. think we really mentioned Ramp Ramp Town. No, I'd um, love to hear about it. <clears throat> Ramp Town. Uh, in 1853, James Benign purchased Section 33 which is just south of M60 on Calvin Center Road. Mm-hmm. And he invited freedom seekers uh, and free blacks to settle there. And he lent them five to 10 acres um, to, uh, in exchange for clearing the land. And they could build a cabin, uh, plant a garden, um, and earn money. And that's what I mentioned earlier, they were sending their kids to schools and they would go to church and they'd stay there for a determined amount of time to make a few dollars and decide if they wanted to stay here and buy their own land 
or or move on. But Ramptown was a a a, 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 a little village of its own, and uh, was actually. Um, uh, mentioned in the census as people who actually lived in Ramp Town during that period of time in order for them to do what I just mentioned. And uh, so a ramp, a ramp is actually a wild leek. It looks like a wild onion, perhaps some people might think of. So Ramp Town was a very important uh, section, um, quite unique wow. that uh, there was such a thing. And uh, I'll let Kathy and Cindy maybe um, uh talk a little bit more about ramp town if they have anything to add are there any historic markers to where that stood or any yes we have a sign we had the road commission put up a sign on the uh the west side of the of the road that shows section 33 where it was there's nothing left there okay um but western michigan university did do an excavation and found remnants of foundations Mm -hmm. um elwood benign who was uh, farming the farm in the 1830s and 40s, recalled hitting stones and um, old foundations at that time that were remnants of those old cabins. Keep in mind, those cabins were just ramshackle thrown together shacks. So they, they weren't probably built very well and didn't last very long. Ramp Town ended in around 1900. Mm-hmm. So, um, but there were um, some items found, and uh, it's all cornfield now. Wow. But uh, it, it's a very important part of, of uh, Cass County uh, Underground Railroad activities, yeah. and actually what James Bonine did uh, for the for the freedom seekers. Wow, that's that's fascinating. They did find some of the original foundations that were there. That's really uh, kind of takes them back when they start looking at those things. Yeah. I would like to mention It's on our driving tour. Okay. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. Uh I would like to mention our library. It upstairs uh, in the Bonine house. It it has everything okay. about our stories, the families involved, Ramp Town Kentucky Raid, 102nd, and on and on. And all most of our library is um, scanned and on our website. So people uh, just click on the library and learn our story. I I think another... uh, point to is we mention uh, mention the free black community uh, that developed mostly in Calvin Township, and uh, uh, free okay. blacks were mostly uh, free forever, and or um, emancipated served in the Revolutionary War, because if your um, mother was uh, white and uh, your uh, freedom depended on her, so if your mother was not Mm. not free, uh, you were free. So... um, Okay. There was a big uh, in eighteen forties uh, uh, and early eighteen fifties, probably 
over 60 families moved here. They had money and they um, established uh, farms. Like Mike, Mike said, they became uh, prosperous members, uh, respected members of the community. And by 1860, there were over 20 um, owned black farms on the plat map. And if you think uh, this was wow. af after the 1850 fug Enhanced Fugitive Slave Act, and right uh -huh. in the middle of slavery times, we had um, black owned farms on the um, plat map in Cass County. And these kids were going wow. to one one room schools all around um, Calvin, Porter, Penn wow. Township. They were on the census at 1850, <laughs> 60. So uh, it, that uh, free black community is um, so important. And like Mike said, their descendants are here and very uh, historical minded and people can um, learn about that in our library or come to the Bonine House. We have display room about Calvin Township and lots more. <laughs> Wow. Okay. That sounds like a lot of fun, especially somebody who's researching or wanting to learn more. That is a great source of information to go visit that. What a quick fun story, Michael, is uh, we acquired the house and the house was literally falling down. Um, you know, there was wow. animal feces and dead animals and, and plaster falling down and the house was just an absolute well, wreck. Well, wow. And house. Kathy yeah. said, we, I'm sorry. Yeah, the benign yeah. house. And uh, it, it was a wreck. And uh, Kathy says, we need a library. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, we, we have to save the house. I mean, it's all we can do to save the house. And she's already thinking that far ahead. Yeah. And we laugh about that. But it was Kathy's vision to have this library. Yeah. And sure enough, it, it came to fruition. And um, we had a lot of great donations by um, local teachers, PhDs, and uh, uh, people who've taken an interest in this story for, for decades. And Kathy's been able to pull all that together. But it was kind of funny when we were in, up to our eyeballs in work to do, um, she had the vision to have a library. And sure right. enough, uh, we have it. So well, you always have to have someone on your team that can think 10 steps ahead, you know? So yeah. That's <laughs> great. That is. So. Good stuff. Well, you know, that's what people need to see because they, you know, they want to see the house, but, you know, they got to get educated and be able to take something home. And that's an important part of museums. So um, that's great to hear. Well, I'm happy that you guys uh, were able to take the time to be on today. I learned so much just listening to you guys. And I certainly want to come and do a visit. Maybe I can do a video or something on the whole uh, series of museums that you have down there and talk a little bit about the Kentucky raid and put that out on YouTube for you to plug your, uh, your organization and help you get some more memberships this year. Love to see yeah, you guys boost your membership and really 
really restore. Oh, this is fantastic. You know? So yeah, wonderful. Thank you for taking an interest in it and giving us an opportunity. Michael, uh, uh, does yeah. uh, Cindy yes. have something to end? Cindy, any last words about the history that you want to mention to folks? Um, it's it's uh, really uh, a lot of people will come to the house and they'll say, I just want to do a, a quick run through the, of the house and I'll be downstairs and I'll, I won't hear any noise and and I'll come upstairs and they're in the library. They're looking at the maps that are here they're looking they're looking at binders um i had a a lady um she was up in the library and i was downstairs and her friend was downstairs with me and i hear this loud scream and my heart jumps i'm thinking oh my gosh somebody fell or something <laughs> and she's like come up here quick my family's name is on this binder wow and so um, she has came um, every year since then. Um, it's uh, and so we have people that uh, come in and they just just get overwhelmed with the story of the of the place. So I always tell them you can come back, but if you you know if you have the time, just take your time and enjoy the house, mm-hmm. you know, and enjoy the story. So. Um, uh, we the the carriage house. Um, a lot of people kind of get a little motion in there when I say this is where, you know, the Quakers and the the freedom seekers walked, and you know, the freedom seekers were um, up in the carriage house, and so they kind of get a little emotional about that. Mm-hmm. The Bogue House is another one where they get up in the attic or they walk over to the the window and they look out. It's like they're kind of taken back into that time frame where they're really uh, uh, feeling uh, what was going on. So um, when you come to the to the uh, the houses and just you know just I just want everybody to take their time and just walk through and just absorb what what this 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 house means to this community and. Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, well, that's, I, you know, those are some great stories there. Um, and I had a question while, while you're explaining that about, you know, there's still descendants of the freedom seekers. Are there any descendants of the Quakers still living there? Uh, yes, oh, yes. Yeah. We have, um, some of the, uh, well, nines and we have the bow. Um, so oh, okay. we have, uh, I oh, think yeah. it'd be, I think they're like, the seventh or eighth generation of the Bogue family is still right here in this area. So um, we. Uh, wow, what a rich history. And we have the Penn Friendship Church that's um, just uh, north of our Bonine of of House. And uh, okay. So- wow, so there's a tremendous amount of history there in Cass County. That is. Um- just wonderful to hear that you guys are doing such wonderful work and I applaud you for your achievements, but please continue because <laughs> the next generation certainly need to know this stuff, you know, um, and Thank it's, you. it's great you. that you've taken all this time and effort and I hope that you get um, some more memberships and people coming out to see you this summer. That would be uh, 
that'd be great to hear. This episode is going to air in May here. So you folks listening, be sure to get check out your calendar and mark this on your calendar, these events. And I'm going to put the links to their website and some of the other information they've provided today in the description of this podcast episode. So if you're driving along, just return back to the episode. When you get somewhere, look it up on your phone and you'll be able to find the links and the information so you can pay a visit to some of these museums and take some of the tours that they have to offer here. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment, leave a review on whatever app you're listening to. It really helps to get others to find out about the show. And as always, I will see you next time as we take another tour down into history of Southwest Michigan. Thanks for listening.